0: Acts chapter seven this morning. I'm attempting something unusual. I'm going to try to cover 53 verses. So I do hope that you brought a sack lunch. <laughs> that one's already leaving. <laughs> He left his lunch in the car. Acts chapter 7, verse 1, when the high priest said, Are these things so? And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives. And come to a land that I will show you. And he came out of the land of the Chaldeans. And dwelt in Haran. And from there when his father was dead. He moved him to this land. In which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it. Not even enough to rest his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child. He promised to give it to him for a possession. And to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way, that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, said God. And after that, they shall come out and serve me in this place. And then he gave them the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac, And circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob. And Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs becoming envious sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him. And delivered him out of all his troubles. And gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh. King of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now a famine and great trouble came over the land of Egypt and Canaan and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time, Joseph was made known to his brothers and Joseph's family became known to the Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives with him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for some of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. At this time, Moses was born. man was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in the words and words and deeds. And when he was 40 years old, it came to his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand then the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Did you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian where he had two sons. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire, in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, And Moses trembled and dare not look. And the Lord said to him, take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them and now I will send you to Egypt. This Moses whom they rejected saying who made you a ruler and a judge? And this one God sent to be a ruler and deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. Then that Moses who said to the children of Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us, whom our fathers would not obey, but rejected. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make us gods to go before us for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt. We do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifices to the idol and rejoiced in the work of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your God, Rephim images which you made to worship and I will carry you away beyond Babylon our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern which he had seen which our fathers having received it in turn also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? You stiff And uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did so, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one. Of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers. Who have received the law by the direction of the angel and have not kept it. God's word. Stephen had won the day in his disputation, the disputation that was brought against him. He defeated his foes, and they were not willing to see the truth. Instead, they made up lies. They coerced people people that they had some kind of control over to say things that were not true. Verse 11 of chapter 6, they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. While this was not true, it did the job of stirring up the people and and the taking of Stephen by force and bringing him to the council. And in verse 12 of chapter 6, they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him to the council. And then notice verses 13 and 14. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place. And changed the customs which Moses delivered to us. And we notice that Stephen was unmoved. Full of calmness and serenity. And all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him. Saw his face as the face of an angel. It's important to see. The Holy Spirit's fruit, Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, that gives the fruit of the Spirit. One of them is self-control. And what a, what a gift to have and how it was on display here with Stephen. He just stood there with the face of an angel in the midst of all these lies. All this that was said about him. And these things were said because they wanted him dead. And yet he did not yell back but he calmly serenely dealt with the situation. If that's not the fruit of the Spirit showing self-control it's hard to tell what would be. They were saying of Stephen the same things they had said of Christ. If you see Matthew chapter 26 and verses 59 through 61 and Mark 14 through 55 and 60. It's almost the same thing all over again. So with all this, there's a bit of irony that the high priest would turn to Stephen and say as he did in chapter 7 and verse 1, after arranging to have all these false witnesses, he turns to Stephen and he says, Are these things so? He knows they're not so. He knows that these are people up lying before him. The great promise of our Lord also was upon Stephen in Luke 21 and verse 15, as we mentioned last week. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. What follows is perhaps one of the longest of recorded sermons in the book of Acts. And what a great tool it is for those who might not have or know anything about the Old Testament. But here, in its context, it was designed specifically for those who were supposed to know the Old Testament very well. That Christ was with him, was seen, On how beautifully themed and succinctly organized his response was. And that he will indeed answer those charges that were brought against him. And in doing so, with great precision, he will deal with God's word and how God gave them deliverers. And those deliverers that he gave rejected he will show the pattern in the past and how it continued into the present (coughs) the time when he could have responded angrily over the injustice of those bearing false witness against him which by the way here they were saying he's speaking blasphemous words against the law here they were lying And part of the law says what? Thou shalt not bear false witness. And what were they doing? Bearing false witness? Note how he begins. Verse 2 he said, Brethren and fathers, listen. Brethren and fathers, no animosity and a good deal of respect. And at the same time, identifying himself as one of them by heritage. They had accused him of speaking blasphemy against God. And he begins by saying, The God of glorious, the glorious God appeared to our father Abraham, the glorious God. He will then go on in this time to speak and mention the name of God some 17 times. So already and throughout, he speaks of the glorious things of God, his mercy and his goodness to an undeserving people. That's still something that we need to capture ourselves today. We don't deserve anything of God's mercy, anything of God's goodness. The only thing from God that we actually deserve is wrath. He starts with how they became a people. The calling of God, of Abraham... Verse 2, note he said, The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham in Mesopotamia. If we stay on this point for a moment, when we come to verse 9, now first, notice God appears to Abraham in Mesopotamia. Right? God appeared to him at this place. Now, if we come to verse 9, And the patriarchs becoming envious sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. So God's with Abraham. Here's to Abraham in Mesopotamia. God is with Joseph in Egypt. And in verse 30, the Lord appeared to Moses in Sinai. For different people, three different places. See, God's not confined to the temple. He, in the midst of doing this, he's answering the first charge because they venerate the temple. They think the temple is it. There's where God is. <clears throat> then verse 44, our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness. Well, there's a fourth place. And this, the wilderness, was that whole wide area that they wandered. So then he will quote Isaiah 66 in verses 1 and 2. He said, God, you cannot build a house to confine God verses 48 and 49 however the most high does not dwell in temples made with hands as the prophet the prophet isaiah says heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool what house will you build for me says the lord or what place of rest has my hand not made all things And so the charge against him that he spoke against the holy place is flatly refuted in that God was not limited to one place and could not be confined to one place and could never be confined to something that was made by hands. And I would go on to say it's it's a small point, but it's a big point at the same time. God cannot be confined by what he himself has made. Some people think that that God is working and confined within creation. No, he created that. That's the difference. And so he's not confined by his creation at all. He can't be confined by what he has made. Another sign of his glory that Stephen embraced, but these men had set aside by their superstition. We go from four instances of God appearing in one place or another, other than the temple. And then he will give five illustrations of of Israel's rejection of those who were raised up by God to be his deliverers. Abraham had been told there was a land of promise in verses 5 through 8. But God also told him in that time that the people would come into bondage for some 400 years. But they that were in bondage would be delivered from it. In verse 8, he ends the section with Jacob and the 12 patriarchs. It almost sounds like a name for a group, doesn't it? A single group. Here it is. Joseph had the 12 patriarchs. The 12 were going to need deliverance. And that would begin the next theme. The Israelites constantly rejected those who sent was sent to deliver and to rescue them. And so in verse 9, we get those words they became envious and sold Joseph into Egypt. Joseph was a, somewhat of a prefigurement of Christ that he would deliver his people from death. A great famine. And so what did they do with this great deliverer? Because of their ignorance, it's, well, they say, let's kill him. No, let's sell him. At least we'll get some money out of the deal. Without... Joseph, the deliverance would not have come. You can see that in Genesis 45. And Joseph would say to them, God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Well, the Israelites were delivered into Egypt from starvation But as time went on, after Joseph was gone and forgotten, there would be Moses. And keeping with the theme in verse 35, he says, This Moses, whom what? Whom you rejected. Another deliverer sent from God, rejected by the people. God gave Moses the law for the people to follow. And what happened with that? In verses 38 and 39, they rejected it as well. And eventually, they would be conquered and carried away into Babylon. But this was the law that they had charged Stephen with blasphemy, as speaking against it. And here, they were breaking it themselves. You see, again, that term blasphemy really can only be something that's said that is wrong or lying about deity so if you're holding the law of Moses into that point where you say they blasphemed blasphemed against Moses and the law it shows you where they had elevated these things and yet even though they had elevated the law so high they would not follow it and right in our our own passage here you're seeing how clearly they're violating it themselves And that law was a prophecy and a promise. In verse 37, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. That was one of the strong, strong prophecies about Christ. Remember that when Jesus said to the 12, He said, Whom do people say that I, the Son of God, am? And one of the answers was, Some say the prophet and that's referring right back to what Moses had prophesied this would be the one of whom the prophets foretold and in verse 52 when that deliverer came and before he even came when he was announced those who announced his coming were persecuted and killed for foretelling the coming of. Notice what he puts here. Not Jesus, but the Just One, the only One who's right before God, the only sinless One, and that makes what they did even worse. And it brought us to the present time the prophet, the deliverer, the savior, the one whom they not only rejected, but he said of whom you have now become betrayers and murderers. Why didn't he just say Jesus instead of saying the just one? Because he was showing them now their guilt in what they did. They had not followed in the pattern, or actually they had followed in the pattern of all those before them. It's not Stephen who had become the enemies of God. The Moses they had so nearly deified told them of Jesus, yet they killed him. In the gruesome murder of Jesus Christ, they became guilty Of all and everything that they charged Stephen for. They charged him with blasphemous words against God, against Moses, against the law, against the temple. And here they themselves had the false charges that they brought against Stephen become true about them, even to the killing of a greater than the temple. The killing of God with them. Moses was sent to be a deliverer. Jesus was sent to be a redeemer. His rejection was the rejection of the father. And the pattern continues. And it continues. And it continues. So what do we learn from this? Well, What does Stephen bring up? He brings up the great works of God. Not just one incident, but several. I don't know of a time. There may have been a time before I, even though I've gained another year, I haven't gained several decades. But I don't know of a time where there's been such a hatred of history. You do understand, please, I hope, that the hatred of history cripples the command of God to make known his deeds. How do we make known his deeds if we're saying, I don't want to hear about that. I don't want to know anything about the, anything except the fact that I live here in this time and the iPhone 14 is now free at certain places. If we hate history, then we miss what God has been doing It cripples the command and if we hate the history that we find in scripture we fail to realize that every deliverance is our deliverance every great work of God has not only that present moment in view but also a future impact if Joseph hadn't been raised up to save his brother Judah, what would happen? There'd be no deliverer. For Christ would come from the line of Judah. You see, every single thing that goes on here, you look at it and say, well, that's that's way back then, isn't it? Yeah but it affects you and I where we are today because if that didn't happen, where would we be? If we don't see and have and know his great works of the past, how are we going to recognize his works in the present? And if we don't see and acknowledge them, our worship becomes like a one-legged man trying to do the broad jump. Because part of worship is, a major part of worship is to see how great God is by the things that he has done. Secondly, I would say this, if you don't know God's great deliverance, how can you understand salvation? For salvation is the greatest of all deliverance. And thirdly, those who trust in anything but the Lord Jesus Christ those who trust in anything but the Lord Jesus Christ have rejected God. They're seeking other ways. But as we see here, and it's made clear, salvation doesn't, doesn't come from buildings. It doesn't come from personal obedience or we might say personal piety. I hold here in my hand the amount of what your personal piety accomplishes in your right standing with God. I say, well, aren't we supposed to do something? Jesus has done it all. As I've said so many times, we are not here to become co-saviors. There's only one savior, one name under heaven by which we must be saved. And yes, yes, because we are in Christ, we will have fruit. There's no question about that. But the fruit is not what saves us. And so those who try to find other ways no matter how pious they sound, no matter how hard they think they're working to do what is right, if you look anywhere else but Jesus Christ for your salvation, you are now an enemy of God because you have said His way isn't right. And you ignore what Jesus said. I am the way. Let's stand together for prayer.